Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey Blackburn. And I'm Aubrey Sampson, and we're your hosts. And we have a fantastic show for you today. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Today, we have Kurt Willems as our special guest, who is the founding pastor of Pangea Church. He's a writer. He's a blogger. He's the host of the Theology Curator podcast, which you know, Aubrey, anything that has to do with curating theology, discussing theology, theology, that's right right up our alleys, right? Me yes, you, I like actually haven't camp. listened yet, and I'm in. I'm very excited <laughs> just because of that title. Oh, it's so fun. I know. Um, but he's also obviously you know, a, a writer and a speaker. And, and so what's really fun is being able to interview somebody who kind of not only has walked through some difficult things, but also has thought through uh, some of the theology yeah. of those difficult things and um, is able to kind of bring forward uh, some some deeper insight into not just cognitively what we know about the character and nature of God based on what scripture tells us, what commentaries tell us, what tradition tells us, but also experientially what he's discovered about the character and nature of God through his own suffering. So I'm super excited about this conversation. I'm, I'm excited that we're able to bring this to you as the listener. Um, if this blesses you, we would love to encourage you to go and rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Certainly blesses us to hear your review and and your testimony. I would love if you just drop a little testimony in there and, and that way people yeah. can be encouraged as well as they as they read this. We would love to invite you to stick around afterwards as Davey and I talk about some of the things we noted from uh, Kurt Willems, some mm-hmm. of the things that God has been teaching him and some of the things that stood out to us. So be sure to hang out after Davey's conversation with him. And let's go ahead and listen to Davey's interview with Kurt Willems. Kurt, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Davey. Great to be here. Man, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, about you know where you live, your family, uh, what you do. And, um, and I'm excited about jumping into your story and hearing what God's done through that. Yeah, yeah, no, great. Uh, great to be here. And what a, what a kind invitation. You know, I'm uh, currently a pastor. I live in Seattle, Washington. We've been here for about eight years or so. I've got a two-year-old daughter who is uh, definitely definitely terrible twos, but also the most adorable <laughs> twos. And so we're, we're walking that road. We uh, also have an eight-year-old who has been doing school from home most of the year and now goes to school wow. a couple hours a day. So she's, I don't know, home early and frolicking and doing things that I'd rather her not do like television and candy. But, you know, <laughs> that's part of uh, working at home while trying yep. to be a parent and all of those things. Yep. So, um, yeah, and I wrote my first book this year and, uh, man, I'm recovering from back surgery right now, so I, oh, I might wow. be a little squirmy. So um, about about eight or nine weeks out now, but still in the process. And, uh, wow. you know, other than that, I uh, just uh, love doing writing and podcasts and all kind of stuff. Yeah, wow. Well, you know, you you said it before we got on that you guys moved to the Seattle area about what, eight years ago, planted a church there. Um, yeah, yeah. and, and church planting is not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. We know that. And then you've had to walk through 
this whole COVID crisis as well. Yeah. So that being said, why don't we dive in? Why don't you, uh, would you, I'd love for you to take us back and kind of begin to tell us what took place, you know, early on in your life um, that's, you know, led you to this point. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really been quite the year and a half, you know, I, to, to give you some uh, timeline parallels about, so, so I, I wrote a book where I, I address a lot of this and right. I, I went in kind of at first, not thinking I was going to address any of my childhood and then really <laughs> feeling led by the spirit to do so. And then as I wrote the book and like, you know, there's multiple drafts that you right, write, right. what's crazy is childhood memories I hadn't really thought about in years. Mm-hmm. They were there, They're, they weren't suppressed or anything. They just weren't things, you know, you don't walk around thinking about your worst memories, right? right. So at least you try not to. And yeah. so uh, <laughs> I'm writing and I'm, I'm like, whoa, wait a second, this thing happened to me and creatively it fits here in the book and spiritually it might be a, a way to help guide people through what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. And so what, what's been crazy is the pandemic began in March when my mm-hmm. first draft of the book was due, right? Mm. And so through the editing process to its release, uh, I have been readdressing my childhood wounds. Wow. And so, so there's been this sense of parallel to the pandemic in some weird ways. That's been mm. really fascinating. And, and the way the story might be told, and there's a lot of ways I could tell it, is I grew up in a, my extended family, my whole family, very Christian, uh, very much committed to the Lord. They are leaders in the church. I mean, these are, you know, I'm thinking of my grandparents in particular. And my grandparents had six kids, my mom being the only girl and was one of them, of course. And uh, she, she had a lot of challenges coming out of high school and into young adulthood with relationships and choices and Eventually, uh, you know, her and my dad got together. Um, she got pregnant before getting married. So they got married, you know, out of wedlock kind of thing, uh, or got pregnant out of wedlock, got married as a result. Yeah. And my mom, I think, was 20 at the time. And so I can't imagine, like, I got married at 23, and I'm just yeah. remembering 23-year-old me <laughs> and how ill-equipped I was to be a husband, thinking Man. I was like, you know, I'm just going to just live out the words of the Bible. You know, I'm going (laughs) to, I'm all about mutual submission. Like it says in Ephesians, I'm all about like just laying down my life. Dude, that's a bunch of crap. I'd rather sit in front of a television at the end of the day than do the dishes. You know, like I, like, so, so I'm thinking about my parents, my mom's 20, my dad, I think was 22. They get married and are pregnant instant. You know, they have a baby six months after the wedding. And, and I'm just like that that sounds so, like impossible to me. Right. And that's not even a terrible scenario compared to so many people in the world, right? right? Right, And so they only lasted about two and a half years or so, as I understand it. Mm. And uh, my, my mom ends up having primary custody and my dad is able to see me every other weekend, you know? And so my dad's in the picture, but he's, he's the every other weekend dad at that point, right. you know, especially those early years. And we had a good relationship, but he just wasn't there all the time. Well, in the midst of that, my mom ends up dating a guy who 
probably somewhere around four or five years old. Um, they start dating and he's great until he becomes terrible, you know, and that's, that's just where it starts going downhill in a lot of ways as far as how I experienced my childhood. He was violent and would take it out in front of my mom or take it out on my mom a lot. He would uh, then take it out on me. And so there's a lot of um, moments that I, in the last couple of years, have stepped back into with Jesus and have had to reprocess. And on the one hand, there's something therapeutic about reprocessing and for me, writing them down. Right. And on the other hand, I wrote down a lot of these stories with tears. They were fresh. They were, yeah. there. there's this sense of injustice you feel for that little boy. Yeah. And as a, as a parent, that, that um, anger, that and holy anger, not, you know, I've given up a lot of the other kind of anger, but that, that holy, like, this is wrong. Right. Right. In all situations, anger uh, rises up. And so, so yeah, I stepped into uh, several stories. I, um, I start the book with one that basically the story resurfaces during my years in therapy. You know, those four, three or four years ago that I was talking about. Right. Uh, and I started therapy individually and then... My wife was like, hey, we need it together. Let's just see your therapist. I trust mm. she had seen good things in me, but we were having problems still. Mm. And so we went together, then she went individually, right? So during this whole span of time, the, uh, uh, the, the story that came up in those early years, I should say, with my therapist was a story where essentially, um, you know, the abusive boyfriend was drunk and... He steps into, um, you know, he's assaulting my mom and I'm hearing yeah. it, but then he steps into the bedroom where I'm trying to sleep and smacks me a few times. And uh, my dad had, at that point, this is fourth grade, had been uh, recently remarried that year. And uh, he had me be his best man. And so it's very special, you know, and my dad, yeah. like I said, my dad and I have a very, like to this day, we're very close and what ends up happening is not only does he hit me and you know call me a bastard and all, all those sorts of things you can imagine in a terrible Jeez. situation, but he takes the takes a wedding photo of me and my dad posed together, throws it to the ground, grabs a picture, shreds it up, you know. So like there's all this like identity stuff wrapped right. in the uh, the physical abuse stuff, and what I do is I. Uh, I just kind of share that story through all five senses uh, in the first chapter. Mm. And that ties to what my therapist, who is also a follower of Jesus, has some spiritual direction in his background. And so he, he invited me into a modified version of um, Ignatian prayer, mm. where you actually take an old memory and you reimagine it in your heart and mind, and you ask the question, something like, and this was how he directed me to do it, I should say. You ask the question, where is Jesus in the room mm. as this is happening? Yeah. And, uh, and so, so that's kind of the tie-in. And basically uh, what I notice in that first chapter, at least, is 
I can't find Jesus. And that is troubling to me. And so I kind of springboard wow. from there into the rest of the book. And uh, there's, wow. there's a lot of hopeful things built into it, but that's, right. that's how the childhood stuff has kind of been processed for me lately. There's so much there, you know, I mean, the, first of all, you, you know, I feel the same thing when you begin to share just a little bit of that, feel that same righteous indignation, you know, that, that yeah. holy anger you described. It's like, man, there's this fourth grade boy, which by the way, you know, fourth grade is one of those ages where you're like, I'm sure you're thinking, do, do I fight back right here? You know, like how, you uh -huh, know, uh -huh. as opposed to like a, as a four-year-old, you know, but that's, but that would be such a difficult space to be in. Right. Cause especially you're mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. what, how, what do I do right here in this? And, and so I, I mean, I just can't imagine. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. then also as you're unpacking this and you're telling this story to your therapist, um, I, I have heard and, and have used that, uh, method before of asking, where is Jesus in the room as this is happening? I had no idea it was from Ignatius. That's, a, that's a amazing, very insightful to know. But I think that what I found is that a lot of people have the same experience that you do when they try to go and answer that question. They don't, they can't find them at mm -hmm. first. Yeah. Go, I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. In fact, that's the thing that has kind of a lot of times brought them to, to this place of feeling betrayed, abandoned, you know, ang angry, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, hating God because of their, their pain and their trauma. Yeah. I'm really curious yeah. as you know, you began to continue to dive into this with your therapist, um, how, or did Jesus begin to appear? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. You know, it, it's, uh, so the way I frame it in the book is a bit strategic. So this is a spoiler. So if you don't want, if you <laughs> oh, actually no, want to read I my book, spoiler. And that's forward. because I want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's totally rad. It's totally cool. So it won't ruin the book, but it's the way I decided to frame the story. Yeah. Actually, so I leave it hanging in the first chapter, which is chapter one, and I don't come back to it except through little like hints once in a while until the last chapter, which is chapter 16. Mm. So um, basically, I do eventually see Jesus in the room. And mm. the way he shows up is a way that I wouldn't have anticipated. And mm. um, for the sake of the narrative nature of this podcast, I'll just share the story. I don't share it anywhere else. I'll share it here though. Um, <laughs> well, listen, and so, man, guys, I mean, you guys yeah, are getting some exclusive access yeah, no. to, wow, <laughs> this is awesome. Well, I'll give you the spoiler, but that just means you have to read the rest of the we book. We have to read so, it, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> That's right. Well, you can't so, just know the ending. So some people need to, you know what I mean? Some people like, they like to know the ending so that throughout the, yeah. they can read the rest of it and not feel that like angst of like, oh, it's going to happen. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, this is totally, going to be good. Totally, totally. So I'm, I'm helping those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so basically I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm at the time we live in a, in a Seattle townhouse and there's traffic and you're, I'm just sitting in my kitchen, listening to traffic. And I, I kind of decided, let's give this exercise a go, like I mm. shared. And so I, I'm praying and I'm open to the spirit. I'm not like, I'm not in a place where I'm angry at God or anything like that. I'm just mm. wanting to take seriously what my therapist is noticing, that all of these themes of the sorts of things I was struggling with have these interesting tie-ins with this narrative, that the narrative wasn't the direct cause, but it was like in kind of at the anecdotal level, kind of, uh, yeah, was 
like all of these things somehow fit into what was happening in this story as a kid. And so, so I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I can't find Jesus in the room. And I'm, mm. I'm like calling out to God, you know, I'm like crying at, like, this is, this is big, but crying in the like, uh, like, are you, are you giving up on me? Like, why? Right. This is a risky exercise. It took me a long time to actually decide to do it. He mentioned it more than once in therapy. Mm. And, you know, as I prayed, um, I didn't see him. And then after a while, um, something like, like a ton of bricks just hits me. And where is Jesus in the room? And the phrase and image happened at the same time as I recall. Um, he was holding me in bed. Hmm. And the words, you were holding me, came off my lips and I started shaking and crying and releasing everything. It just was wow. like, and every time I would try to utter the words, you were holding me, I would just, another wow. wave of like this cathartic Holy Spirit wash that um, I think it was a cattle, <laughs> here I am feeling it right now a little bit. I think it really was a catalytic moment not just a good story to tell in a pastor context, but like, I, I really believe it was this moment where something of a past memory integrated into my body in a new kind of way that gave my body the freedom to exi exist differently in the world with God and with others, wow. you know, during that season. And I still struggle with this at times, like some detachment, yeah. uh, you know, I, the reason I went to therapy in the first place, like the, the final straw was um, realizing that I'm, I was sitting on the couch and my three, three-year-old daughter at the time or whatever she would have been, I think probably about three, mm. is sitting there in front of me. And my brain is saying, play with her. She's awesome. Play with her. And my body just wouldn't move. Like I couldn't get off the couch. Like I, I couldn't engage. Yeah. I, I had, and, and so there's a sense in which that moment with Jesus and the guidance of my therapist kind of led to things breaking open within me mm. in new kinds of ways. And um, I, I'm grateful. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be grateful for the rest of my life for that. And that, look, it's not like it's, that one experience changed my life. It was the culmination of all of these things coming together. Right. And then that happens and then other things keep happening, right? Mm. Um, this isn't the mountaintop camp experience. You know, I right. was in youth ministry. I was a student in right. youth ministry. You know, you, you go up there, you have this beautiful encounter with the Lord, but then it's like, how does this integrate into my right. life? And people struggle with that. This is like, one of those few events in my life that has had ripple effects into who yeah. I'm becoming. Yeah. And uh, I'm grateful in so many ways for it. So that's the, that's the spoiler. That's at yeah. the end of the resurrection chapter, as you might imagine. And uh, wow. that's, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so it grateful. sounds like, sounds mm. like it was a, a major identity shift even, you know, to, yeah. yeah. you know, cause when I think of like, hold, you know, holding, I think of a father holding his son. Yeah, and here yeah. you are in this moment where, even though you had a great relationship with your biological father, you know, here's this other yeah. 
what should be, what could have been, what could have been another great father figure in your life, right? Mm -hmm. What could have been a Mm -hmm. redemptive moment of, you know, your parents' separation and seeing, okay, now what's redemptive about that? I've got two great father figures that really love and care for me, but one stepped in and, and decided, you know, probably because of his own trauma, decided to um, unleash that on, you know, someone who's helpless and yeah that had to create some crack in this young childhood kurt you know Um, absolutely jesus is bringing this back going hey i was i was your father i'm your father holding you yes Um, yes mm. yes and and you know it's as you might imagine, it's not as though Jesus hadn't been doing healing before. You know, I right. a lot of the tra- the real trauma stuff, and, and this is an overstatement because other versions of trauma entered my life in other ways that um, I'm actually going to keep to myself because they involve others rather than just me. I've right. been very, very discreet in sharing my story and not yeah. other people's stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but I would say the the climactic kind of event happens in fifth grade. Mm. I don't really talk about that much in the book, but in fifth grade, there's one more real big incident that eventually leads to this guy being out of our lives. And from that time forward, you know, I had to, I had to figure out like who I was. I had to pick up all the pieces. And in, in my Basically, the summer before my junior year of high school, uh, I had a very powerful experience with the Lord where, um, yeah, a total shift in identity took place. I, I was a Christian, but I wasn't a follower at that stage in a consistent yeah. kind of way. And that's when I had a call to ministry. And it was then from there, it's like now it's time to reconcile the fact that you know, I don't know what it would have been less than a, less than 10 years ago, I'd been a child victim of abuse. Right. And now here I am as a 16 year old guy who is being invited into the, this space with Jesus. So at that stage, it's Jesus has healed me from my past. Mm -hmm. Jesus has saved me from my past. I thoroughly accept that now, but the, the challenge as I got older was that Jesus definitely did a good work of grace initially, mm. but the the truth is the human psyche, as God has designed it, holds on to stuff, both good right. and bad. Right. And, and there's always more work to be done. There's always yeah. a new layer to um, investigate with our trauma, if done, of course, in a healthy context with the right safeguards and all of that. And so um, I... I got to return to the healing journey that I had started maybe at a childish level in my teens. Mm. And I think, I think that um, both were gifts and I think there's probably gonna be more healing that has to happen throughout my life. And I'm gonna right. learn what that is with God as I go. Right, absolutely. You know, uh, as I'm sitting here listening to this and you know, this major pinnacle moment too that you had where you, where you felt like God, the Holy Spirit really spoke to you and said, I was, you know, God the Father, I'm holding you in this moment. There might be some yeah. who are listening to this and, and are going, okay, well, if he's a father and he's good, why was he holding you and why was he not protecting you? Hmm, that's big. Right? Yeah. 
how, how, if you have, you know, I, I just, I'm curious, how have you kind of reconciled that or, or worked through that? I mean, you're a pastor. I'm a pastor. Yeah. We have to think yeah. through these things, even theologically sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, even mm -hmm. though, even though there's so much healing that happens emotionally, especially we say a lot that mm -hmm. if you have an emotionally laden trauma, it requires emotionally laden healing experiences too, which is what you had. But then there's also mm -hmm. the parsing out theologically that goes, okay, well, you know, if I'm, even if I'm trying to explain this to somebody else and the skeptic who's like, well, why didn't he just, if he's good, if he's a good father, why yeah. not defend you? Exactly. No, that's huge. That's huge. And before I step into that, I, I, I think it's important to say, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know the, the average listener's theological baseline, right? Of what the, right. you know, Calvinist, Arminian, whatever. So, right, so I'll just say, I'll just say this, and then I'll give you my opinion yeah. and how it's been helpful and redemptive for me. Um, I think that it is possible to love Jesus, serve, serve God, and come up with a lot of different answers to this question. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I, I honestly believe that each response is, you know, a way in which we, I, we can move forward with God. And, and I, I'm more concerned that someone can move forward with God than I am concerned personally about the response, although I do think the response or the theology matters a lot, which is right. why I do spend some time on that in the book. Um, so I come at this uh, as someone who really believes that free will is very real in the world, um, that is that is my primary starting place. I I believe that God created a world that is um, full of freedom, and that freedom does come with a price, mm. and that price often is sin, evil, brokenness, right. pain, suffering, pain. and so so there's uh, there's this great quote, and I actually quote this. I think in the book um, by C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to summarize it because I'm going to ruin it. You can't, you, know, <laughs> you can't, you can't. quote C.S. Lewis without. <laughs> you, you would have to that's quote great. Lewis exactly, or just say, you know, I'm butchering yeah. the quote, and that's what I'm doing. I'm butchering the quote because it's not in front of me. But he basically says, look, like, like God could intervene because God's powerful. God, God could intervene anytime, any place. But imagine a world where God selectively started intervening all the time. Yeah, and eventually that world would become a world where choice ceases to exist. Right. And, and so I come at this and I say, there, there are a lot of free wills to be reconciled um, in, in this conversation, right? There's the billions of people on the planet all have free will. Uh, the people who have gone before us all had free will. The people who come after us will all have free will. Um, within the context of the conditions and, you know, places they inhabit, right? There's things that you don't choose, but within the situation you find yourself, you have free will. Right. And uh, I go a layer deeper and I would say there's uh, demonic forces in the invisible sphere of reality that also have their own free will as do angelic forces, right? Mm -hmm. So so we have really a ton, I mean, so many uh, trillions of choices every single day, actually, spell it out mathematically in the book, but there are <laughs> trillions of choices being made every single day. And we get to step into that world and how we do so with our like heart and mind intact after, you know, our first bowl of cereal. I, I don't even know how we do it because it, it is a wild web of free will that we get to step into every day.
And yet, here's how I've come to understand why God doesn't always intervene. God's commitment to free will typically seems to be that where the web of free will is so thick that in order for God to intervene in an obvious, you know, the obvious like punch the abuser in the face way. Right, right. Um, would require that God violate that free will, like violate the rules of free will that are embedded in creation, mm. uh, like the Lewis kind of quote would um, insinuate. Uh, that, that God within those parameters that God has set up um, cannot by choice do so mm. because it would violate the very, the very way God has designed the world. It would be like God telling, telling a chicken to start flying. Well, <laughs> you know, God could give it some fairy dust, but that would also sort of violate some things, right? right? So, so there are times though when through a bunch of things, which I, I think include prayer, but aren't just limited to prayer, that the web of free will has some holes in it. And, and it, within those holes, God reaches as far as possible to bring as much direct safety and intervention as possible in those scenarios. Mm. And so that metaphor has kind of been helpful for me. Um, so when I think of some of the worst things in the world, did God cause them? No, I don't think God directly causes evil. Yeah. Um, does God allow? Yeah, because of how the world has been shaped. Mm. But for me, at the end of the day, I, I would rather have God's empathy than God's meticulous control. Mm. And I wow. think that's really, really important. If, if wow. you're going to follow the free will train, right? So, so this is decidedly not Calvinistic in nature. So if, yeah. you're, if you're more in that train, that's, you know, you have other ways you explain this, and I can respect that. But if you've decided to, that God is committed to um, actual free will, then what I see in Scripture is a God who empathizes with the suffering all over the yeah. place. God, God actually is emotive in the Bible multiple times. And so, so I have learned the reason that God was holding me was because God's empathy was with that little boy. And as much as I hate that that little boy got abused, God hated it even more. But there were things in place that God had to hold back, had to not violate the rules of the game, so to speak. And now I'm speaking in very simplistic language. So someone might be hearing this and say, no, that sounds like a weak God. No, 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 no. I, I don't believe in a weak God. I believe right. in a very powerful God. Um, and so that's a much longer discussion. But I just don't wanna be part of any conversation where we start blaming God for suffering or we start saying, God caused, I've heard this a lot, God caused this thing to happen so that mm. at the funeral, this other person would hear the gospel and become a Christian. Right. And I just think to myself, yeah, no. that, that doesn't sound like Jesus at all. No. You know, and so did Jesus directly cause my suffering but for some divine reason? I don't believe so. Mm. Does Jesus recycle, redeem, reuse, yeah. salvage everything possible from my suffering? Yeah. I think I'm living proof of that, that, yeah. that that's what I've experienced of God. But I would never want to say God is the one to blame ultimately for what happened. Wow. 
Wow, that's so good. I mean, even what you said right there, this, that, that I would rather have his empathy than his meticulous control. And I think if we yeah. were all honest with ourselves, um, even, in the, even if we reduce it down to the times in our life where we've experienced those two different things from other people, where we, we've experienced mm-hmm. the depth of someone stepping into uh, our pain or our suffering mm-hmm. and empathizing with us and feeling understood and feeling heard and feeling known, that far outweighs. I would much rather have that than someone yeah. who is, I, I am now their puppet. I am their, you know, they're, they're a master over me. They're controlling every aspect of my life and yes. intervening where they may think that I may go astray. And so, wow, that was, I, I mm. love that perspective, Kurt. What a great, Thank you. what a great uh, way to, to summarize that even. Wow. Well, I, I appreciate that. And you know, it, it goes a layer deeper, right? Cause that, if we're not careful, even that slogan, we can, we can make it feel abstract or theoretical, like, oh, good. Sure. So when I'm suffering, I know that there's a God out there that cares. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yes. But the, the profound mystery of Christianity and something, you know, the subtitle of my book, so the book's called Echoing Hope, but the subtitle is How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. Right. And the, the profound mystery and gift of Christianity is that God becomes a human being hmm. to show us how to be human beings, mm-hmm. like the image bearers were supposed to be, right? So God becomes human to show us how to be human, to suffer like a human, yeah. or suffers you say alongside worse than us. It, worse than just about it. I mean, uh, I, any oh, yeah. other human has ever suffered, right? I mean, oh, he yeah. goes to the oh, nth yeah. degree Abs- on the suffering scale. Mm-hmm. Mm. Absolutely. And he didn't have to. Like, he didn't, he didn't have, have to. to. Su- like, he could have... He could have been born in Rome and had the good life, you know, right. but he he chooses a marginal space in time. Mm-hmm. He he chooses the 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 road to the cross. Mm-hmm. And of course resurrection happens and that's our future. Like that's yep. our promise. Like the the hope of the Christian life isn't flying up and becoming Casper the friendly ghost in the sky and playing a harp. It's resurrection eventually. That right. God's right. going to bring heaven here and we're going to have bodies that are yeah. physical reality, right? Real bodies like Jesus. And so so Jesus is like the whole story of becoming human as we yeah. were meant to be from the beginning. And what is relatable about Jesus more than anything if we give him the time of day is Jesus actually hurt too. Yeah. Not only does Jesus get it at an intellectual level, Jesus knows pain experientially. The God of the universe knows pain experientially. Right. And and for me, that's also why there's power in a Jesus who was holding me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a Jesus who's like, "Okay, buddy, you'll get through this." It's a I'm holding you and I still have the wounds in my hand right, that remind right. me of what you're going through. Yeah. You know, that's the power of the scars, yep, right? Yep. The power of Jesus' scars is those scars are a reminder to you and I that yep. all pain in some way, shape, or form will ultimately have its opportunity for redemption. That's good. And the, yeah, and the promise, right? So that you'll, there'll be an opportunity for redemption here on earth and, and you know, in this lifetime, we'll begin to see some yeah. of the story of redemption unfold. But then the promise yeah. that at the end of all of this, right? At the, the yeah. when, when it all, when kind of evil has met its end, at the yeah. end of that is going to be Jesus fully and finally destroying evil. 
That's right. And setting all right. things right again, right? And as I mean, mm-hmm. I think C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis. Okay, I'm not gonna. Maybe it was C.S. Lewis. I can't remember if it was him or not. And I don't want to botch the quote, just like we said. That's cool. But That's he's going to make the all um, r- wrong things untrue. Yeah. Right. Not yeah. even making wrong things right, but making them untrue. Like that doesn't. That does, there's no place for that here. It's a falsehood. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. this is where we get this. He wipes every tear away from our eyes. Like mm-hmm. he is going to redeem mm-hmm. and restore completely all of our pain. But he's holding that at bay right now. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and much of it is because First Peter tells us that he um, doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants to see yeah. re- people come to repentance. And mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. to come to repentance on their own terms in in that way, that's and right. so, and so there's this prompt. There's this. And that's what I love about you know. Even as you're as you're sharing this narrative with us, there's this. Yes, I'm here and I care for you. There's this empathy, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm going to work in this to redeem. Yeah. Right now, I'm going to heal yeah. you. I'm gonna. There's the resurrection that's going to happen in your life. But then there's going to be this glorification, this final, like mm-hmm. complete restoration that happens with the macro level of pain and suffering. Yes. It's not going to exist anymore. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Resurrection's that point where you and I will become fully, fully human finally and forever, right? Like we're, we're all the way human. Right. And, and that's one of the things I try and draw out in the book too, is that, uh, being human is a gift, not your negative Right. So, so, so many of us like have a bad day. Oh, I'm only human. Uh, you know, this thing isn't working. I'm human. Um, and for, for the Bible, the Bible starts with humans as God's like glorious pinnacle of creation. Mm. You know, being human is to bear God's image and it's to do so in relationship to God, others, self, and creation. Right. So, you're, you're the image of God um, when you are perfectly aligned with God. And anything that disaligns you from those relationships you were made for, God, people, you know, the earth, the inward self, you might say, like anything that pulls you out of that, the Bible calls sin. Mm. Um, And and so the plan of Jesus is to renew what was lost, that Jesus is like, I'm going to show you what it means to be the perfect image bearer of God so that together in this broken world, you and I can partner through your pain and through the pain of others. Yeah. And and on the journey, I'm gonna show you what it means to become more human, not less. And of course, traditions wow. call this sanctification or um, you know, uh, uh, theosis, I think is what the Eastern church calls it, right? There's all kinds of words for this, but it's about saying that our our um, our whole selves matter to God. Mm. And, and there's a God who wants to reclaim all of that. And I think there's something really healing about just uh, taking our human nature seriously as well. Yeah, I, I want to shift gears a little bit because you know th- there was there's a process where you had to begin to untangle this stuff, and you went through therapy, and you've also gone through a writing yeah. process. Which those two things I found in my own story were very helpful, very healing. Mm-hmm. Both the counseling mm-hmm. therapy process and the writing down of the story. And even as you alluded to earlier, as you begin to write this book. You know, it, it, you know, writing, writing books, especially it's kind of takes on a life form of its own. It, it evolves. You yeah. almost like yeah. dive into it. And then you start, it's like the, the story begins to kind of unfold. You may approach it with this great outline and think, you know, exactly how you're going to, but it just, it morphs into its own life form, begins to 
carry you with it as well. And you experienced, I think, as you said, to the nth degree where you begin to experience a lot of healing from this. And you maybe didn't go into it with the intention of sharing a bunch of this childhood trauma, but it started yeah. unfolding. Um, how can you unpack that process for us a little bit? And, and in, in terms of like how important you feel it is for people to enter into that kind of a practice of beginning to, you know, write these things down, whatever it is, whether it's journaling or whether it's actually going and pen to paper, beginning to write their narrative. I mean, we call it like a trauma narrative, right? I mean, that's Mm, very much a term, term in this space, but why, from your perspective, is that so important? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of ways I could answer that. One of the things that comes to mind, and, and my wife really knows this about me, probably more than anyone, I care so much about documenting moments, right? So mm. I'm the one probably who's more likely to have the iPhone out, taking video of the kids, or, <laughs> you know, I, I just want to, I document everything I can. And I, don't do it perfectly because I never know how to organize it, but I know I want it, you know, so someone's going to have to archive it later for yeah. me. But but I think that really goes back to a sense of a childhood that feels like I lost something. You know, there was a childhood where there are a lot of things that weren't, in a sense, worth filming. You know, there, there are things that just weren't um, worth archiving in one sense. But as the healing journey has it, that's one of the most important things about mm. processing and moving uh, forward into more life right. and more fullness. And so right. so I do, on the one hand, I wanna say, especially those people who process their thoughts in words, that writing the stuff down, journal, you know, um, I, I think it's very, very, not, not just helpful, but could be crucial to some people's journey. Um, for me, man, this is really important for a few reasons. The first is, uh, you know, I don't know how many people are going to read my book, but someday I'm going to have daughters who have access to mm-hmm. here's daddy's story. Wow. Here's why maybe right now Jesus doesn't make a lot of sense to you. Here's why Jesus matters to your dad. Yeah. Here's, here's the journey I've been on. And if, you know, and so I wanted to capture some of that. Both good and bad, by the way. There's some really fun stories in there. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you, I I wrote down the first story, and I ended up having a conversation with someone who's become a friend, a, a guy named Ben Higgins. Um, he's a mm-hmm. he was on The Bachelor. Yep. He kind of is a reality TV dude, and we were talking, and I I was like, man, you have like millions of people who follow you. You have a big platform, and I'm this kind of pastor guy who's writing my first book. And I think God's leading me to be vulnerable. Like, what do I do with that? Hmm. Because I've been vulnerable in small settings, you know, church group environments or whatever, right? But this is like, this is accessible to people in other countries. Like, this is not just like chill sort of like Bible group or my small little church we plant. You know, this is big. And... um, and one of the things he told me was there was a season in his life where he really struggled with vulnerability because he would get like, criti- you know, critical articles written about him. Like, oh, did you see what Ben Higgins was wearing or, you know, right. stupid stuff like that. Right. <laughs> and and he, it would, he would like own it. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm such a dork or I'm such a whatever. Yeah. 
And he, he shared with me that he had this moment with God in a hotel room where God just was like, this platform is a gift mm. for the benefit of other people. Are you going to use it? You know, and, and I, I tell, I tell a little bit more detail to that in the story, but what, what he ends up learning about himself is that vulnerability is actually his, um, strength that out of vulnerability, out of being open about his flaws, being open about his story, he's actually more courageous and uh, more present. Mm. And other people have um, found great, like, joy in being able to hear his flaws and his challenges yeah. because it then says, hey, my, my stuff's okay. Like, I can, I can actually wrestle with this. I don't have to yeah. hide. Yeah. And, and so I had to make the choice to not hide when I wrote this book. Mm. And, and Ben really encouraged me to do that. And um, so did many other people in my life. And I would say that as I went into the several stories, it was like, whoa, I never knew that this story could have this meaning for me now. Yeah. Uh, a memoir, this, my book's not a memoir, but sections of it, because you're telling stories, right? Feel right, kind of like right. memoir, because you're reflecting back. And um, I took a class in seminary called Spiritual Memoirs. And uh, we learn about this concept called the I then and the I now. And the mm. I now is making always making meaning in memoir about the I then. And, yeah. you know, the connections are metaphorical and spiritual, and they may not have been all present then, right? but the I now can see all these layers that matter because of that yeah. story. Yeah. And that's what was happening with me as I wrote these down. And, you know, I, I tell a story in a chapter. So basically the book... The first four chapters are on pain is in the world. It sucks. It's not supposed to be this way. Here's some ways I process the problem of pain. And yeah. then sections two through um, four, so the last big chunk of the book, it actually goes through the life of Jesus from his birth to the resurrection. Mm. And so I have a chapter of his baptism, of course, and that for me is his big identity forming moment. And then there's a chapter after that on him in the desert. And one of the things that Dallas Willard talks about is that when Jesus is in the desert, we often attribute uh, that being this like moment of weakness. You know, Jesus yeah. is broken down and he's weak. And Willard actually says, no, it's quite the opposite. Jesus has just been like deeply saturated at the baptism moment it, by God's love. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. And then steps into the desert for 40 days. Sure, he hasn't eaten or whatever. But where you think he is maybe physically weak, he has never been stronger mm. spiritually. Wow. And, and so it's in that context that where we would think that there would be no abundance for Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is like swimming in it. Yeah. in the beautiful abundance. So that by the time Willard points this out, by the time Jesus gets to those actual temptation <laughs> questions, the devil didn't have a chance. Like, like he, he was already done. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's nothing. Well, in that chapter, I share a story about, um, it's about that same time, about fourth grade or so. So yeah. older, an older abuse story. And we were at the um, boyfriend's um, house. And he, he lived in a, a mobile home and it had like steps going up it. And I was standing on the patio up there. And the way I remember the story happening is he's behind me. Apparently I'm in his way. And so he kicks me right in the butt with a still-toed boot. Yeah. 
and it causes me to tumble and I at, out of mostly trying to get out of the way. I mean, it hurt really bad. Um, I stumble down the stairs, right? And yeah. there's this kid from my school who easily could have made fun of me for this, who happened to just be there, uh, who witnesses this. And so I'm ashamed, right? I'm dealing with all my shame in that moment because now it's not just a private issue at home where I get abused, but now it's public in a sense. There's shame right. involved in a different way. And I turn to my abuser and for the sake of podcast rules and etiquette, I'll just say, I said the word a-hole um, to him. I screamed mm -hmm. it. You know, you asked about that impulse to fight back. Yeah. Well, right. this was one of those moments where I just scream a-hole, right? Yeah. And, and so I tell this story in this context, never thinking about any of these connections with abundance and scarcity. Mm -hmm. And my favorite line in the book, I actually have it underlined in this book, um, I'm going to read it to you because it, it's not, it's not even the best line in the book, but for me right now, it, it has the most meaning because it was such a fresh insight and it's simple. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read the paragraph and then I'll, I'll come to the line. And I'll tell you when I'm at the line. Okay. Although I was kicked that day, starved for physical safety as I was, my youthful understanding that I mattered that I was a child of a loving heavenly father empowered me to respond from a strength of spirit. Scarcity met its foe an evolving awareness that being dehumanized by an abuser is never okay. Mm. And here's the line. Abundance was sneaking into my life and I didn't fully know it. Wow. That story of that kid cussing yeah. mind you, at the <laughs> abuser, was not a, my most Christ-like moment if I were an adult. <laughs> but it was a moment where the formation, that very minimal grace-filled formation that God had already started in my life right. was coming into bloom. And, and I knew that this abuse was not something that defined me or that I deserved. Yeah. Wow. And that is abundance. Wow. That's the power of story. And, and it's the power of coming back to our stories and saying, whoa, that kid has actually got something going on. He's yep. not just a little baby victim. Right. There, there's, some, there's some like goodness and strength in that kid that I never saw yeah. before. And so going through pro a process like this can highlight, wow, I need to sit with the real raw pain here that I haven't really sat with. And it yeah. can also highlight the, whoa, God was actually gracefully at work here, even though I didn't know it at the time. Wow. And, and that for me has been such a gift during yeah. this season. That's so good. And that's the power of stories. That's the power of writing yeah. your story. That's the power of telling your story. That's the power of uh, inviting other people to enter into your story, you know? And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, Kurt, I, th that's, that's what you've done with this book. And I'm super grateful for that. Uh, I'm grateful that ben, ben Higgins gave you that advice and you heeded it to be very vulnerable yeah, yeah, in these yeah. spaces because it's in your vulnerability that so many people who have are listening to this conversation, they're, they're going to be healed from that. You know, yeah. they can kind of insert yeah. themselves even now they can insert themselves into your story and go, okay, you know, if there's empowerment available for Kurt, there's empowerment available for me too. And that abundance yeah. is available yeah. to me as well. And so, man, I just thank you so much for spending some time with us today to 
even give us a little bit of a spoiler um, of your book. Oh, but I hey, want to encourage everybody to, to make sure that you pick up Kurt's book. Uh, it's called Echoing Hope. And the, yep. the, the subtitle of it? How the Humanity of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. How the Humanity yeah. of Jesus Redeems Our Pain. Amazing, amazing. We'll make sure that we put that on the podcast page and the show notes right here. But Kurt, man, it's just been an honor to be able to hear you unpack some of this and, and just spend some time with you. Hey, right back at you. And you know, I uh, just want to thank you for your ministry, the work you're doing, empowering people to step in. I mean, I, I just think it's so important that those of us who have walked this journey in our own way, um, if we have the, um, the heart and resources for it, that we can help other people right. step into the world differently. So That's you're right. doing that. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. Hey, Davey, I loved your conversation with Kurt because I yeah. feel like, he, like you said beforehand, he has really thought through, I mean, he's experienced it, right. but then right. he has thought through some of the theology of pain and where God was. And I, yeah. I, I don't know, I just thought that was really lots of insight from him. Yeah. I, you know, I think what's really unique um, when, especially in the experience that he had, where he began to ask the question, God, where are you? Or where were you in mm -hmm. this? Um, mm -hmm. Which I think is a very important question for everybody to ask. I mean, we yep. we consistently, as, as we're coaching people, as we're counseling people, as we're helping people, and we equip our certified guides to uh, ask people the same question and whatever trauma they've experienced, whatever tragedy they're going through to ask Jesus, where were you in this? And I think yeah. it's really, it's really unique that, that he also asked that question that he got to experience that. And so not only was he cognitively understanding as a, as a pastor, as a guy who just, you know, is loves theology and loves to study this stuff. He wasn't just intellectually grasping it. He was right, now experientially right. grasping this is where mm -hmm. Jesus was in the midst of my trauma. And I think this is, this is what's so beautiful about what Jesus does in healing us is that he shows us where he, where he was, he shows yes. us where he is and he yes. steps in and he walks with us in our pain, you know, That's and we it. could talk for hours about Jesus showing up, right? Psalm 23 in the midst of our Valley. Mm. And, um, that's why we, we don't have to fear because he is with us and over and over and over scripture is pointing to us that in the midst of our deepest and darkest pain, he is with us. I think this is one of the hard things to explain like um, logically or even verbally about yeah. suffering is that th these are moments when you've been through difficult trauma, you've been through some type of heartache right. that you know you've encountered the presence of God. Like, right. But it's hard to sort of explain that because you, <laughs> you still don't necessarily know why the pain happened. You don't necessarily know... Um, why God allowed it. Yes, you don't, right. I mean, there are things you can't explain. Still you can't understand. Still things have to be untangled. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But you can go, but I encountered Jesus there. And maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's you're encountering Jesus backwards. Like he yeah. did, like later on you're finding where God was, or maybe it's in the moment you're like, okay, the Lord has met me here with yeah. his comfort or with an answer to prayer in a way that like, this could only be God. Right, right. And, and I think sometimes we are quick in our pain and our suffering to ask the question, where is God? And not wait for the answer. Yeah. Like instead we'll be like, God, where were you? Where were and you? then we walk away yeah. from God, you know, yeah. or we, we don't allow God to answer. But I do think it can be a beautiful question if we ask, Lord, show me where you were. right. right. Show me where you are and what we do find by the presence of the Holy Spirit and by somehow the miraculous supernatural power of God is that he truly is Emmanuel. He truly yeah. is with us. That's and right. there's not, you can't, you can't really like 
academically explain that. Yeah. But you do you do encounter God right. in your suffering. Period. Because that's the kind of God that he is. I like to say it's it's something that can't be explained. It can only be experienced. That's it. And and yeah. that's why scripture tells us it's a peace that passes all understanding that guards mm-hmm. our heart and mind uh, in mm-hmm. Christ Jesus. And I think about, you know, sometimes we don't know that Jesus is with us until we look back and reflect on it later. Yeah. That's you know, very I mean, true. I think about John chapter 11, where Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And they're like, mm-hmm. they're assuming, surely Jesus is going to drop everything and he's going to come. But it says that when Jesus right. heard the news, that he actually waited where he was for two like more four days. four days, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. is it two more? I mean, Two more crazy. days, but ultimately it was, you know, so by the time he got there, Lazarus was four days in the, in the grave. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, he's two days of waiting where he's at, then two more days of traveling. And it's like... And so Martha goes, if you had been here. So from her perspective, Jesus was not there in the pain. Right. But later looking back on it, only after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, can they look at it and say, oh, Jesus was there, but in a different way, because what he was doing was working to set up these divine Mm. purposes that were actually leading to a greater miracle than than just healing. It was a resurrection. You know, that's right. And so I that's think so even in moments where it doesn't feel like God is there, He's there. He's working. He's you know He's very very active, and we see this you know over and over in stories in Scripture where Jesus you know actually the person of Jesus while He walked the earth and where God the Holy Spirit they they enter into those painful plights with us, and all of this is characterized if you want to talk theologically by what you just said the incarnational ministry of Jesus. That's right. Right, yeah. Emmanuel, God with us. That the only, the only God, the only religious figure that we know of all the major world religions that actually wrapped himself in flesh mm-hmm. and entered into the painful plight of humankind is Jesus. Like That's He right. willingly subjected himself to suffering. So he didn't just say, yeah. I see you in your suffering or, you know, I'm here like... I'm I'm rooting you on in your suffering. suffering. (laughs) Yeah, no, like I enter in. I take that on myself and I am near. Yeah, exactly. That's right. It in one sense it is I mean, even though God invites us to ask where were you, God, or where are you, God, Mm -hmm. in one sense it's a wrong question because it's a false understanding of God, right? Right. It assumes that God, like you said, is distant, is deistic, is not involved in our pain, but that's not who God is. Like you just said, God is a comforting God, a with us God who has carried our suffering and who saves us through suffering. Absolutely. Well, and and this is what we're passionate about helping people with, Aubrey. We want to help them to find where God is in their suffering, right? Because ultimately God's inviting them into spaces of healing. Yeah. And he's inviting you, listener, to partner with him to take back your story. That's ultimately his plan for you. Is There is a redemptive story that he is writing. And sometimes he's writing it where you can't see him, you know? where it's kind of hidden. <laughs> you see him later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then later you're like, oh man. And then sometimes he is right there and he is very present. You know, he's a very present help in time of, of trouble, as scripture tells us. And mm-hmm. you can see the penmanship of God all over your life. Either way, he's inviting you to partner with him to take back your story. We want to help you with that. We have lots of different ways that we can um, come alongside you and, and point you to yeah. Jesus in the midst of this. If you go to nothingiswasted.com, you can find a bunch of our resources there. You can Check out the Pain to Purpose course, which is um, like our flagship course that that we have hundreds of people have gone through now at the local church level or individually or through community groups online. You can join a community group 
uh, right there at nothingiswasted.com. You could go kind of into a deeper investment and get some one-on-one help through Mm -hmm. one of our certified guides. Um, All that stuff, again, can be found at nothingiswasted.com. That's what we're passionate about helping you um, as, as you journey this valley. And so speaking of resources, Davey, the Pain to Purpose devotional released today. That's right. So congratulations, Thank first you. of all. But listeners, if you want to grab that, you can go to paintopurposedevo.com. Yep. And um, this is an incredible resource that I know Davey has not only worked hard on, but really prayed through and lived through and is a powerful resource for you to be able to partner with God to take back your story. So check that right. out. Again, that's paintopurposedevo.com. Yeah. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can find his music wherever you get your music. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nothing is Wasted Ministries, at Davey Blackburn, and at Ob Samp. And next week, we have another incredible episode for you. Michelle Moore joins us to yeah. talk about um, her trauma and her pain, and of course, where God was in it. It's going to be a really powerful yeah. one. So let's go ahead and take a listen to part of your conversation with Michelle Moore. I talk about that in the book, how this all started really when I was five. Uh, I lived in the Midwest. I lived in uh, South Dakota at the time. Um, I had young parents, about 28 years old, and a little sister, about one and a half. And uh, my mom at the time was a registered nurse, and she was born with a congenital heart defect and uh, really spent her 20s serving others as a nurse, um, cardiac patients. Um, but in February of, I think it was 1971, she uh, collapsed and dropped dead right in front of me oh from um, her congenital heart defect. 